0: Welcome to Women
1: in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're talking to five successful lady marketers to understand how they've navigated their way up the corporate ladder to become some of the most prominent female marketers in the MarTech community. Joining us today is Tara Ryan, who is the CMO of Swerve, which is a platform that enables brands to connect with their customers with relevant messages in real time with live data at scale. Swerve combines messaging across channels like push, in app messaging, email, SMS, and OTT. Prior to her current role, Tara held CMO and VP titles at a host of enterprise B2B companies, including Oracle, McAfee, NetSuite, and most recently, a company called Coupa. Okay, here's our interview with Tara Ryan, the CMO of Swerve. Tara, welcome to Women in Martech Week on the Martech Podcast.
2: Thank you, Ben.
1: It is an honor and a pleasure to have you here. First off, thank you for being a sponsor or having your team sponsor part of the MarTech podcast. We appreciate your support, and we're excited to hear your story about how you've become an executive and a leader in the MarTech space.
2: Wonderful. Excited to be here.
1: Well, let's start off talking about your early career. Just in general, how did you get into marketing and what drew you into this field?
2: Interesting. I was a history major in college, so wasn't really set up for marketing, but got some experience in public relations and advertising and worked for an advertising agency that managed liquid air as a client, which is industrial gases. And that taught me a lot about industries and how different industries from oil and gas to food manufacturing went to market. And that really helped me learn SIC codes and industries and therefore led a path to Oracle and Oracle applications, lo and behold.
1: So early in your career, it sounds like you didn't study marketing. Why did you decide to go into public relations? My guess is a little bit of this is the practical applications of a history major are few and far between unless you're going to stay a student or become a professor. What was it that drew you to PR?
2: I wanted to have a career or a job at the time that had creativity involved, and wanted to explore something that had design, creativity and was really drawn to the copy, the design in advertising. Public relations was a great foundation, but I knew that I was less excited about that than I was advertising. So just pursued that early career in advertising. And again, Liquid Air was one of the clients. Another agency I was at had HP supplies and accessories. So I gained some exposure to early technologies in the early 90s.
1: So it sounds like you started on the agency side at first and you had kind of a wide variety of experiences working in PR and eventually getting some experience in advertising. You wanted to pursue a more creative field. You felt that advertising was a better fit for you. As you were early in your career, did you get the sense that marketing was going to be your long-term career path or what was your mindset as you were thinking about early career development?
2: Well, yes. I always laugh because um, I come from a big family and my oldest brother said, well, marketing, isn't that just logic? And I do think there's a lot of logic and marketing makes sense from a business to consumer perspective. We're consumers to business to business. I grew up in a farming family, so I recognized seed to shelf, which really helped later on in marketing, manufacturing and supply chain solutions. But I like the storytelling and the setup of how does a product or a service produce results. And that's really what inspired me, along with the creativity.
1: So it sounds like early in your career, you had the understanding of the brand and storytelling component of marketing, but also how that fed into business results.
2: Absolutely. The early days in advertising, I also had many real estate clients and real estate clients those were ads in every sunday newspaper they were early condominium developments mixed-use developments retail shopping centers so monthly sales at the end of the month were really the result of those print ads or radio advertising so those early days of advertising back then we didn't have a lot of crm systems so it really was pure sales that proved the results of advertising efforts And I liked that connection to the ability to measure the results of your marketing efforts.
1: The thing that sticks out to me is that you've already mentioned that you worked in a couple of different industries. You have a family background in farming. So let's say that you have some understanding of, you said, seed to shelf. There was something with HP that sounded technical. You worked in a couple of different industries, including real estate. Talk to me a little bit about how your early experiences and exposure to multiple different clients and multiple industries helped develop your understanding of marketing.
2: Well, I think understanding, Ben, and also learning. I call it technology cultural diversity. So along my career, I've been able to learn. Sometimes people say, well, oh, you worked at McAfee. Well, that doesn't relate to NetSuite because that's financial applications versus security. But I think the technology and that diversity of selling a transactional antivirus solution versus a long-term financial solution, how does each company approach their go-to-market and each industry? And what are those life cycles of those customers? And every experience I learn from the next doesn't mean that they're all alike. It's the differences in each company that's really helped me in my career and look at each new company as an adventure. So it's been fun that way.
1: As you think back about the early days in your career, what were the key takeaways when you were really more of an operator before you got into management and even being an executive? What are the things that you learned that you still hold on today in terms of the basics of marketing?
2: The basics is I think good marketing stands on its own. Good work stands on its own. What I mean by that, Ben, is that it's the results. And now we have wonderful solutions and tools to measure our results. But in the earlier days, I could say, let's test one headline against another. It was expensive to produce television ads or spots. And now we have so much flexibility So one lesson that I learned is that when you go in for your reviews and you're trying to build your career or get the next promotion, it's really being able to step up and talk to the people that are ahead of you or your superiors or your management and let them know that the good work you've done stands on its own. And that's because of the results you've produced.
1: One of the things that's interesting to me, having done a few of these women in MarTech interviews, talking to executives, is that my expectations going into recording these interviews was that there would be more of a focus on, look, I was the only girl in the room early in my career. And consistently, the answers have been, it didn't matter who I was or how I was different. What I focused on was driving the results and being able to prove my case. When you were earlier in your career, and this is really pre-digital marketing era, did you feel like you were in the minority as a woman in marketing?
2: Oh, for sure. I think agency side, there were more women, but on client side, and I've been on executive staffs and have worked directly for the CEO now for over 20 years And most of the time, I'm either the only woman on executive staff or there might be one or two more. So out of a group of 12, maybe two. So yes, and that's probably what led me to that lesson and valuable takeaway from one company to the next is that make sure that your results stand on their own, whether I'm a woman or a man or I'm young or I'm old. There's a lot to say about just letting your results speak for you. And that was more necessary then. It's less necessary now. So as
1: an operator, while you were one of the very few women in the organization, what are the things that you did that helped produce results that vaulted you from being an operator into the next stage of your career when you're getting into management?
2: I think one, I mean, you bring up women as a minority on executive staffs. One lesson I learned and humbly is just to be myself not to try to be anyone but myself. And that's really hard. That was harder back then than it is today, but not being afraid to be a woman, not being afraid to be funny, to laugh, and not to bring a different personality to work than you have in the rest of your life. So I think there were more, what I would call personas required 20 years ago than there are today. And I do like to tell people It's not lean in or lean back. It's just stand up straight and be yourself. I think the most power is in bringing your true self to every meeting.
1: Yeah, I think that's great advice that you have to be comfortable in your own skin. Man, woman, white, black, brown, green, purple. Being comfortable with who you are makes other people feel comfortable around you. And I could see how that combined with producing successful results helped you move forward in your career. Let's talk about some of the roles that you have. You moved from agency and advertising and eventually transitioned into a series of managerial roles at large enterprise companies like the Oracles and McAfee's and NetSuites of the world. Talk to me about the stage of your career when you were transitioning from operator to manager into the director level.
2: Yeah, sure. And as we were talking about on all of a sudden, I'm working for the CEO at Network Associates and had great career progression. The challenge is, well, how do I then turn around and manage up to 50 people without going back to school? What I did do at NetSuite or when it was NetLedger is I took two years and got a master's in transformative leadership where my classes were in cultural diversity and scenario building and change management so that I could build up a set of tools to keep in my pocket for whenever I would turn around and in a future position, especially in growth startups, be able to really embrace change and help my team manage and navigate change and growth within organizations. So that was a big lesson is go get the tools you need and recognize your strengths and weaknesses at every juncture in your career. And there are so many resources out here. I got my master's degree online from a great school of psychology while I continued to work. And I was at Zebra Technologies running a team that was dispersed into 50 countries. And we had 15,000 VARs and a couple thousand employees. So those tools became indispensable as I grew into vice president, executive vice president, and CMO roles.
1: So let's talk about that in a little bit more detail. When you started working in-house as a, looks like a senior advertising manager at Oracle, this is Oracle when it is a large company, but it is not the behemoth that it has become today and still very much a growth company. As you're a manager in that role and moving on to becoming a VP at McAfee, what were some of the roles and responsibilities you had and the lessons you took away from those two experiences?
2: When I look back, I had some wonderful mentors and the marketing department was less than 200 people at the time. And we got to develop a lot of friendships I still have today. So that networking and collaboration is still something that I hold so valuable in my career. I still talk to many of my friends from Oracle in those days. So at Oracle at the time, I mean, our budget went from 12 to $50 million in two years. And those were big stages of growth. My role was advertising. There were only two people that managed advertising for the whole of the company because Larry Ellison directly approved and helped us create many of the ads. Zach Nelson served as a mentor. He was head of marketing. And I ended up working for Zach for seven years after those days at Oracle. So leveraging mentors meant a lot for me at Oracle and then also gaining a global perspective. So it's really exciting to look back at those early days in a career and say, I created my own global lens. I was able to travel to Asia a lot and work with people in many different countries. And that was amazing because I still, on a daily basis, leverage what I learned being able to travel. My travel budget was at least four or five times what my salary was back in the day. But they were willing to put me on an airplane and let me go gain that experience around the globe. So my role went from advertising in Oracle applications. Within a year, I stepped up and volunteered and said, listen, if there's anything global, throw me on a plane. <laughs> and three years later, I had seen much of the world.
1: I'm assuming that relatively early in your career, you are footloose and fancy free and don't have some of the bonds of home that were making international travel consistently difficult. Talk to me about as you're trouting around the globe, In a professional sense, what were some of the trade-offs that you had to make at that point in your life? Were you feeling like your primary focus was work and how did you balance your work and personal
2: life? I think another lesson you learn is what priority do you put on your career? If I don't go on that trip, will I make that promotion? I think today things are much more equitable. But back then... I was traveling all the time because I felt that that was something that would be required or I could represent myself and my accomplishments more. So did I sacrifice possibly? It's hard to look back and hindsight can be 2020 and would I say, well, you know, maybe I wouldn't be as focused on the promotion to director level at Oracle and maybe have traveled as much, but it's hard to say that now. I was so excited to take advantage of those opportunities as those doors opened for me. But then I've had two children on my own, and I had them later in life. And it's amazing, and it's a beautiful journey. I spoke at a women's conference at Salesforce.com recently, and much of the conversation came around even down to fertility. And what are we women in professional settings about our 30s and our 40s and even our late 20s as it relates to work-life balance and we're learning. I think we're all learning as we go along.
1: Yeah. I mean, I obviously can't speak to any personal experience, although my wife is in her thirties and we talk about the balance of her career and my career and our family planning as well. But it makes sense that you're traveling around the globe as you're in what I call the hustle years, right? When you're managerial to director, when you have to do everything in your power. And most people are still in the phase of their life where they are independent and can focus on their career as the primary purpose. But I do understand that for women in that age range, there is a personal aspect to prioritizing work that needs to be considered. I am not the right person to speak on what is right or wrong, but I do want to address that that is challenging for a lot of women. And it's interesting to hear how you managed to be very career focused at that point in your career while still being able to have a family and become an executive. Let's talk a little bit more about making the transition into being an executive. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost effective. You're traveling around the globe, you're working for Oracle, you make the transition to becoming a VP at McAfee, and there's a few different stops along the way through NetSweep and even in consulting where you're at a VP level. Talk to me about the difference between being a director, an operator, and a manager to becoming an executive.
2: It's tough. I think as a woman, you develop friendships, we tend to be more nurturing and I call it the adopt an issue or adopt a problem. There's a transition that occurs from a director where you may be managing up to 10 people to a vice president and over 20 people. And it doesn't necessarily mean the number of people but you really have to learn to let go and also let go to the people that are below you so that they can manage their own teams. And I think my big phrase is embrace the ambiguity (laughs) because you've entered a path of the unknown. So when someone promotes you from a director to a vice president, and all of a sudden the next quarter, you're given a new staff of people you don't know or a new territory or a new project, or someone says, I've now had been involved with four IPOs, but I'll never forget the first one. No one gives you a book on how to take a company public. So you need to just embrace the ambiguity and then allow yourself to let go of your comfort zone. And sometimes that means that if I think I'm the best (laughs) at digital advertising or picking images for the website and Carrie's on the line, she might be laughing, but there are things you have to just say, it's okay. I'm going to let other people make decisions and let that cascade then below you. So that empowerment, I may be a vice president, but I'm empowering the people below me to do the job I just did. And not have judgment about it, because that's when some beautiful things happen, is when I get promoted, that means that people below me are then more empowered and possibly promoted.
1: So how do you find the balance between empowering the team that is working for you and holding them accountable to produce results and keeping a high bar?
2: I've been really lucky in my career to get teams with incredible work ethics and ambitions and creativity. I am only where I'm at because of the teams below me. But I think that to your point, Ben, that's the balance is I have a hands-off approach to managing, I'm not in on every meeting. A lot of meetings I'll say, hey guys, okay, I've seen enough, I'm gonna leave the meeting now so that you can move on and get your job done. So I think again, it's the looser strings and the more empowerment, the better the results.
1: Yeah, it seems like your focus is as a director where you are working with a team and they are bubbling the work up to you for approval as opposed to a vice president when you are advising and really focusing on people management.
2: Absolutely. And people management and organizational development and HR. I've spent a lot of time with HR and learning from people that are experts in succession planning and organizational development. And I have the world of respect. And I think we can all learn, even in marketing and marketing management as a CMO, I love talking to my HR counterparts because so much of what we do when we're managing people is truly managing people and human beings that have their own lives and ambitions and career paths. So a lot of times what I ask people to do, and I've said this before, is go home, write your resume for three years from now and come back to me. Because that tells me, do you want to become me? or maybe not. I don't think as CMOs, we can assume that our entire team below us wants to become a CMO someday. So what areas do people want to become experts in their own right in? And that might be digital marketing or public relations or content development. So how can I carve out and understand the best career path for all of those people below me and not make any assumptions?
1: So you mentioned that deciding what your career path is, is a personal decision for everyone, and you're helping as an executive coach your team to understand what their path is. How did you decide that you wanted to become a CMO and what led you to feel like you were qualified and ready to make the jump to that role?
2: From a CMO perspective, I had an interview a few years ago with a CEO and and I said, look, we were negotiating salaries and I was at the same salary for over 12 years. In Silicon Valley, that's just the tough part. We're making great strides. Don't get me wrong.
1: My hope is you were going to say you were way overpaid 12 years ago and you just didn't negotiate.
2: Well, that's what he said.
1: That's not how it worked, was it?
2: No, that's not how it worked. No, that's too bad. Because I see when a company goes public, you see what everybody makes. So, anyways, I think that early days, it's like, hey, I'd be so excited to become a director. And I said to Bill Larson, the CEO of Network Associates, what will it take for me to become a VP? And I'm a director. And I always tell people that are younger in their careers, no one is ever going to wake up in the morning and think, is it time for me to give Tara Ryan a promotion or think about a great job that Tara did. So you really have to market yourself and sell yourself. So I've never been afraid to approach the CEO and say, what's it gonna take? Or the head of HR or the head of sales or marketing. So those were early days and it's very exciting. Now I'm less excited about my title. And someone recently said, well, maybe I could help you and mentor you because you could be a CEO. And I said, no, I never want to be a CEO because I have another 50 years where I could learn every single day being a CMO. And I love it. And I love learning more and more about marketing and being that leader. So I don't think you ever really say that's the point on the map where I'm going to get to. But as I said earlier, I think a short-term horizon or building a scenario out for yourself and saying, hey, I want to take part in that. I want to be part of an executive staff. And then I did what it took to get there, which is really, again, creating results. So
1: I think that the lesson of you don't get what you don't ask for and you need to be your biggest advocate is great advice. I'd be interested to hear more about not only what helped you get your first CMO role, but what are the things that made you feel ready to become a CMO and manage the entire marketing department, not
2: just a facet of it? Yeah, sure. I mean, in B2B marketing, it was really rounding out every aspect of marketing. And I think my strengths lied in paid for. So digital is uncomfortable to me. I was a media buyer long ago at an ad agency. I like to pay for something and know exactly what I'm going to get as results. We used to live in the days of gross impressions and measuring media. So that was a strength for me. A weakness was public relations. And I was able to work with some wonderful um, PR people along my career at Oracle and their associates and NetSuite and learn from them. So that was an area I said, "Okay, I really shouldn't be a CMO unless I can really manage and be very strategic in both the um, earned as well as the paid for mediums so when I look at product marketing, a lot of people call marketing, you know, there's three stools. Are you stronger in brand? Are you stronger in product marketing? Are you stronger in the demand gen pipeline generation? At least that's the way we look at it in B2B a lot of times. So it's rounding out those areas of experience. And I knew I was comfortable after 15 years of experience, building my foundation of each of those And there are times where if it's a security company, I'm less comfortable in the product marketing realm, and I'm much more comfortable in the go-to-market and the demand generation. But it's recognizing your own strengths and weaknesses and looking at the opportunities that best play against them. So I think you just intuitively know when you're ready. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I never had someone say, and maybe it's because I was a woman, hey, listen, we're going to promote you. And I was surprised by it. I asked for it.
1: That's interesting. You know, I noticed that on your LinkedIn profile, you had a series of five SVP or head of global marketing roles, and you're talking about doing skill development to the point of being prepared to be a CMO. These are different companies, a company called Proofpoint, Zebra Technologies, Navis, which was acquired by Zebra Technologies, Ketra, and NetSuite. Were you learning different facets of marketing at each job or were they all sort of blended together and you were just pushing the ball up the hill?
2: So Proofpoint and Coupa were IPO. Zebra was recession, you know, in 2009. The marketing contribution to business results is what I learned and I've learned in the last 15 years. And it's what holds me in my roles. So Zebra, the stock went from 17. I think it's now at 220. And I'm not saying I was a distinct part of that, but proof point was we wanted to go IPO. What were the measurable business results that marketing could contribute to? How much revenue could I track back to the exact marketing investment and the checks we wrote for each marketing campaign? The same with Coupa. Went into Coupa pre-IPO and really partnering with the CFO and the CEO to create business results via marketing efforts. So each company is very different. Zebra was early days of IOT and it needed a rebranding. So that's where that skill set came into hand. Proof point: I had done McAfee. I knew a little bit about security, but it needed a complete rebrand and it needed demand generation. Coupa needed less of a rebrand, but demand generation and was procurement. And I knew that market. So it was a little bit more comfortable there. We ended up writing a book for the CEO and coining a term called value as a service and really taking that brand and that platform through to IPO. So that technical cultural diversity, whether it's security or financial software, there's something to be learned from one lily pad to the next. So as I move from one company to another, I pull out of the pocket those tools or those experiences from the previous one to add even more value to the next.
1: So now you're a seasoned CMO and you've been working at Swerve for roughly five months. Talk to me about the way that you think about marketing for Swerve. How do you define what your role is and what are your goals?
2: I came to Swerve because Tom Aitchinson is the CEO and he ran sales at Coupa. And a lesson I've learned in the last good 10 years plus is there should be no difference between sales and marketing. I mean, we should really operate as one. And if we don't, then it's just hurting the growth of the company. So I love Tom, I can trust him. He's never missed a number and he's just a very determined sales DNA. And that's very appealing to me. So my role at Swerve is to work for Tom, the CEO, but partner with sales and inject stronger growth into the company. And leverage our marketing investment to do that so how much will we move the needle of revenue directly related to my marketing campaigns and that's what this team on the line is working on daily. Will it be search? Will it be webinars? Will it be digital marketing content syndication?
1: Podcasts.
2: Yeah, podcasts, absolutely, sponsorships. How do we influence the MarTech space in a sea of noise and conversations and narratives and find relevance with our respective customers?
1: So as a three-time CMO, I've noticed that you've been all at growth stage companies. Do you feel like you found a niche and, and why is that the right profile of company for you?
2: Well, once a company is public, it's a lot more predictable. And I think my ability to embrace ambiguity, sort of march towards the unknown and figure it out as we go and figure it out quickly is really fun and exciting at startups and growth companies. It's different now, and I really enjoy leveraging all these years of experience, but working with board members, working with the VCs and the investors involved. It's more of an ecosystem. Surprisingly enough, maybe the company has 100 employees, but my internal client roster grows significantly. So I find it to be just a really exciting challenge, Ben.
1: So as you look back over your career, right now you're a CMO, you've gone from being one of the only women in the room as an operator in the pre-digital age, and you've worked your way up to an executive level at a technology-driven startup. Talk to me about how the role of gender has impacted your career as an executive. How are you using the fact that you are one of the very few women CMOs in the marketing and technology space as an asset?
2: Right now in B2B and technology, as I mentioned earlier, I have lots of friends from my early days at Oracle and McAfee and NetSuite, and we are not competitive. I think as peers and LinkedIn, I'm friends or are connected with lots and lots of CMOs in Silicon Valley. I love going to symposiums, talking on panels, talking with you today. And it's what I call coopetition. We may be competing as companies and we may be competitors in a Gartner quadrant, but we're friends in our efforts to boost each other up in success. And I find that more and more regardless of whether I'm a man or a woman on executive staff. So today is a much different day than it was in the year 2000 or even 2010. So that's exciting.
1: It's one of the reasons why I wanted to put together the Women in Martech series was there are strong leaders in the Martech and in the marketing space that are women. And I feel like the Problem that we've had in our industry in terms of gender neutrality goes back 30 years where there just wasn't women in the boardroom. So there wasn't a lot of examples for women like yourself to follow. Now there are, and my hope is to highlight you as an executive, as a woman, and as a role model for the younger generation of female marketers What advice do you have for younger women who are still in their operating roles, maybe even in their managerial and director roles, to try to understand how they can become executives if that's the career path that they should choose?
2: You know, I was laughing with a friend yesterday that's a big recruiter over at Google. And she said, do you remember that job you took when you were doing HP supplies and accessories catalog? And I was counting SKU numbers in a print catalog, but I thought I was being creative. Don't be afraid to carve out the perfect career. Things unfold and opportunities are there every day if you accept them. I think a lot of younger people, I'll talk to them and say, well, I've been a director for six years and I'm freaking out and when am I going to be a VP? Or I've been at this company for two years, should I leave, Should it, because that will advance my career. I think for everyone to take a deep breath that today there are opportunities and there aren't as many closed doors or low ceilings and that to have that hope and let things unfold and take a little bit less control because i do have faith i have faith that there will be more and more women in each boardroom now there are three or four (laughs) there's more cultural diversity which is lovely we have much more of a global network about us and just a lot of career opportunity so that being said i mentioned earlier No one's going to carve out your career unless you do it for yourself. So it's a matter of doing that without panic and without stress and without anxiety. I think there's just some really hopeful career paths today and a lot of openings for younger people.
1: I think it's really encouraging to hear you talk about how there are more opportunities and that the playing field is level. I think my biggest takeaways from our conversation, some of the advice that you've given is be comfortable with yourself, be results focused. Be your biggest advocate and be patient and have faith that there will be opportunity.
2: Absolutely.
1: Well, Tara, let me just say thank you for giving us advice. Thank you for being a role model to the younger generation of female marketers and to marketers in general. And thank you for coming on the show.
2: Thank you, Ben. It was enjoyable.
1: Okay. That wraps up this episode of the Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Tara Ryan, the CMO of Swerve for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Tara, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit her company's website, which is swerve.com, and it's spelled S-W-R-V-E. A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for all of our guests if you're a subscriber to the martech podcast thanks for being a member of our community we always want to hear from you so we've created the link benjshap.com question where you can send us your topic suggestions or marketing questions which we'll answer live on our show of course you can always reach out on social media my handle is benjshap b-e-n-j-s-h-a-p on linkedin and on twitter and if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every workday. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we have a once a week newsletter that provides links to our audio players, episode summaries, and contact information for our guests. If you want more MarTech in your inbox, subscribe by going to benjshap.com newsletter.